find the Uversion app, and my uh, notes will be on the live events section. We'd love for you to see that. Uh, we are starting a new series today called Famous Last Words. There should be one of these in your seat. I hope that you'll take it. Uh, a little sermon series card gives you some scripture verses uh, through that you can read through uh, this uh, this month as you walk along and journey along with us. Also gives you kind of songs that you can listen to. Uh, just a good resource reminder to be in the Word this month as we work through these passages together. These are for you. They're for free. You can take as many as you would like. Uh, we'd love for you uh, to do that. Oh, goodness. Okay. So one of the first things I want to share with you is this. So you'll, you saw outside in the lobby a display for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. There should be a little sheet inside of your uh, bulletin about Lottie Moon. You might think, what, who in the world is Lottie Moon? Well, she is a wonderful believer uh, in the Lord. She died a long time ago in, in China, uh, where she served as a missionary for many, many years, uh, just uh, sharing the gospel with as many Chinese as she possibly could. Uh, she eventually died of starvation because she gave away all of her food, and she wasn't well-funded. Uh, she wasn't well-supported by the mission board back here. Now, this is over 100 years ago. Right. What, what's great about it is we've now understood that we need to really support our missionaries really well. And one of the ways that we do that is through the mission offering, or Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, and so our international mission board, which is the same mission board that you saw Whitney is a part of, uh, and the same mission board that's sending my family overseas, uh, the good news is, is they... They fund everything. They fund our house, our car, our health insurance. They make sure we have food on our table, and we don't have to ask anybody for money, which is really, really great. Uh, neither does Whitney. She's fully funded as well. And one of the ways that we do that is is through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so we as a church, we've decided that we want to approach $15,000 this year uh, during the month of December uh, to give to the International Mission Board, which all of that money, every single penny, goes overseas to make sure our missionaries are well-funded. Uh, so we want, we're going to educate you a little bit more about what's happening. There's a couple things in the lobby that you can grab. A couple, to, a couple pamphlets. Parents, this is really great to share with your children about who Lottie Moon was and that you can pray through what you might give this Christmas to make sure that missionaries are sent all over the world. So uh, a little video to share with you a little bit about what that might look like. taking up $15,000 from our church over and above our current budget to make sure that every dollar of that uh, goes overseas to fund missionaries uh, in a cooperative way with thousands of Baptist churches all over this country, and we're thankful to be able to do that. So be thinking through and praying through what God would lead you and your family uh, to give this coming December. All right, so we're going to jump into this series. So First uh, John uh, chapter 1, that's where we're going to be, and what we're going to be looking at is famous last words. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about 
at the end of your life, what would you want to say? As people gathered around your bed, maybe as you're really, really old and you're decrepit and you're just ready to die, what would be the one thing or two things or three things that you would want to convey to those who are closest to you? What would, what would be the experiences and values and hopes that you would want to share with them? Are you going to go out in a blaze of glory? How are you going to go out? What are the last things that you're going to say? Now, just for fun, I want to share with you some folks that you might recognize and what they said at the end of their life. Now, Winston Churchill said this. Now, he's the famous one who said, never give up, never surrender, right? At the end of his life on his deathbed, this is the last thing that he said, I'm bored with it all. And then he died. Uh, And so a little, little different than what we might recognize. Beethoven said this, friends applaud for the comedy is finished. This was a cultural thing that after, after any comedy show that somebody would come out and say, okay, now is the time to applaud because things are finished. And that's what he said. John Adams, the second president of the United States, uh, he was, he grew at the end of his life, grew very close to Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. Uh, and, uh, and so as he lay dying in his bed in Massachusetts, he said this, Thomas Jefferson survives. Little did he know that Thomas Jefferson was also on his deathbed in Virginia, and they died on the same day, uh, July 4th, which is crazy. Uh, And so they both died on the same day. Nostradamus, the famous guy who predicts a bunch of stuff, said, tomorrow at sunrise, I will no longer be here. He was right. Uh, So uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, a little desperate, says, I have offended God and mankind. My work did not meet the quality it should have. Uh, a little interesting at the end of his life. Benjamin Franklin, who was, who was lying having a hard time breathing, and his daughter said, uh, his daughter said, if you turn over a certain way, your breathing will get easier. He said in response, a dying man can do nothing easy. And then he died. Groucho Marx, the famous uh, comedian, as he lay dying, shouted out, this is no way to live. And then he died. Death is ominous, is it not? It is mysterious. We don't know how it's going to end up. We're a little skeptical. We're a little scared. We have some trepidation about what might happen. Am I going to go out in a blaze of glory on the battlefield? Or am I going to lie in a bed alone? Or am I going to lie in a bed with my family around me? What is that going to look like? Am I going to have a good, fulfilling life? Am I going to have my wits about me? Am I going to understand everything that's going on? Now, so for this series, we're going to be looking at... um, four specific characters in the Bible, and uh, we're going to look at their famous last words. Now, two of them, we're going to look at their famous last writings, what we think at the end of the life, at the end of their life, they wrote down. Uh, and then two of them, we're going to look at their uh, last words. Uh, and so, uh, and so normally your, your last words are dictated by a couple things. Your last words are probably going to be dictated about the experiences that you had. And you want to make sure that people remember the experiences that made your life have have some impact. So you're going to talk about your experiences. You're also going to talk about your values, what you value the most. And you're also going to talk about what you hope for other people. Because you either want somebody to avoid what you've done or you want something somebody to, uh, you know, kind of keep going. You want them to repeat what you've done. So either avoid what you've done or repeat what you've done. You want to convey all those things in your last words. Now, to begin this series, I want to do something a little strange. It might freak out the introverts in the room because I'm an extrovert and I can do that. I'm in charge of the stage. So, um, and that's okay. So what we're going to do, I'm going to not talk for two whole minutes 
and we're going to we're going to play some music. We're going to put a timer up here. And what I want you to do is I want you on your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, grab a pen or on your phone. That's okay too. Just don't play on Facebook. What I want you to do is I want you to write down three statements. I want you to write down three statements that you would want to make to your loved ones as you die. What are the experiences, values, and hopes that you would want to convey to those that you love as you die? What would you want to be your famous last words? You guys ready back there? Ready? One, two, three, go. to turn to somebody next to you, either your loved one or maybe somebody you don't even know, and I want you to share your best one. All right? That's okay. Ready? Go. Talk in church. It's fun. Keep going. I don't know why I got quiet, but I won't pretend. <laughs> all right, here we go. Look at me. All right, so um, all right, audience participation. Who's bold enough to tell me? Go ahead and shout it out. Anybody got a good one they want to tell me? Yeah. 
Anybody got a good one? Yes. Oh, all right. Very good. Very practical, Sarah. Very practical. Your wife must love you. Okay, here we go. I'm not afraid. I will be with Jesus. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome. Very good. Harley. Say it again. Be, be better than mine. Absolutely. Very good. I love it. Karen. Awesome. Yeah, very good. No matter what happens, Jesus absolutely loves you. Very, very good. Anybody else? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Good truth right there. One more. Woo! That's my wife, everybody. That's right. Hey, we, you know, yesterday, so yesterday we packed up like pretty much while we were like getting rid of all of our stuff. And she only cried once. So that's great. That's good. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, anyway. Uh, anyway, so the, so here we go. All right. So what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at the Apostle John. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Apostle John this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at Stephen. Now, Stephen is the first martyr in the Christian faith. Uh, we're going to read his story in the book of Acts, and it actually does record his famous last words, his exact words. After that, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul, and that's more of his writings in Second Timothy, you know, looking at is at the end of his life, what was he what was he saying to uh, his uh, his mentee uh, at the end of his life? And then finally, the last week, we're going to look at Jesus and his famous last words. Now, if you're kind of paying attention, you're like, okay, what? Okay, Jesus' last words. Now, that's a little bit more tricky, a little bit more mysterious. I'm going to leave the mystery there as to which uh, what part of Jesus' last words we're going to go after. But this week, we're going to look at John the Apostle. Now, there's a couple Johns in the Bible, so I don't want you to get confused. We're not looking at John the Baptist. We're looking at John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples that hung out with Jesus. Uh, now, scholars believe that John was probably the youngest disciple. He would have probably been somewhere between 12 and 13 years old when Jesus called him to follow him. Uh, so, uh, so, so he's very, very young uh, when he was following Jesus. Most of the time we think of like the, the disciples, all of them as grown men with beards. Uh, probably not John. He was probably very, very young, youth age. Uh, and then later on in his life, John would become a pastor, shepherd, uh, probably made his way after his brother. His brother James was martyred uh, in the book of Acts. He probably would have left Jerusalem uh, to go north to Antioch and probably ended up in Ephesus. Now, uh, now that's what we know kind of from the scripture. We also know that John John wrote the Gospel of John, uh, but then he also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Most scholars believe that's his last writings that he would have written at the very end of his life. Now, we we also, we also think that he wrote the book of Revelation. And we think that because it's, it, there's a little bit of extra biblical history. Uh, Fox's book of martyrs uh, said that John was arrested and then he was put into a boiling vat of oil to be tortured and killed. Unfortunately, that didn't work. Somehow, miraculously, John survived the boiling vat of oil. Uh, I think miraculously, if that story is true. Uh, and, uh, and so they couldn't kill him. He just wouldn't die. And so instead of trying to kill him, they uh, exiled him to the island of Patmos. And that is where, where God revealed to him 
uh, the, what is recorded in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, and so this would have been, first, first John would have been written at the very, very end of his life, probably in Ephesus, uh, where, where he was pastoring. Uh, and so, uh, and so we, we see the book of first John really as his last words. And the reason why we think it's his last words is because most of his writings were very observational. The, the gospel of John, Revelation, he's basically just observing what he's seeing and he's writing it down. The difference with first John is it's very instructional. Uh, and so he's, he's giving commands, he's giving instructions, uh, which lead us to believe that it's probably at the end of his life. Um, and so in a lot of 1 John is also a response uh, to heresy. Now, heresy is something that, uh, of, of beliefs that go against the gospel truth. Uh, and so uh, there was a heresy called Gnosticism that was going around impacting the church. Uh, and they would say things like, all material, including human beings, is evil. That there is nothing good in the world, and the only thing good is the spirit world. Everything that is material is evil. They would also say things like, the supreme God of the universe is unknowable. That you cannot know him, he has not revealed himself. Uh, and that really the creator of the world is a lesser God, uh, and uh, we don't know him. Uh, and they also believe that we don't really know what sin is. That there is no such thing as sin. Uh, there is only ignorance. So that's that's what Gnosticism believed, and it began to bleed its way into the early church. And so John is responding uh, in the book of 1 John to the heresy of Gnosticism, and you can see that as you study it. Uh, now, uh, now, so we, but we know all these things as we're reading through the book of First John. We know that God is knowable. We know that God created this world and everything that He is that He has made is good, and He has revealed Himself to us that we can know the sovereign God of the universe, and that and that there is sin in this world. We're not to condone sin, but we also don't want to say that it doesn't exist. It certainly does exist. Uh, and so, what we have here in First John is John's famous last words. So let's start at First John chapter one. Okay? If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy or your joy may be complete. Okay, so this is John, the Apostle John. Remember, he walked around with Jesus. And he's saying, I'm going to write these things to you so that your joy, our joy collectively, might be might might be made clear or complete in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking about the idea that we have seen him, we have heard him, we have experienced Jesus, and I have touched him. That's what he's trying to convey to these people, that the God of the universe, the supreme God of the universe, sent his son down, and I was able to experience him early on in my life. That's what, that's what he's saying, that we can have intricate knowledge of Jesus, this really did happen. Now you can imagine John, maybe on his deathbed or at the very end of his life, and he's telling stories about Jesus. He's saying, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. I saw him create food out of nowhere. I saw him preach with authority. I saw him heal thousands of people. I saw his hands and his feet crucified. I watched him come down dead off of the cross. And then I had 
breakfast with him three days later. Like, I saw the resurrection. I felt his body. I gave him a hug. I know that this Jesus was God. He is who he says he is. And therefore, we can have unspeakable joy because of it. But you've got to think. This is at the end of John's life. This would have been written in 95, 96, 97 A.D., a full 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So most of the people alive during that time did not know Jesus. They had never met him, never experienced him, never touched him, never seen him. And so John is trying to come around and say, I saw these things. I know that they are true. A couple of years ago, I had the chance to... Um, uh, I had the chance to go to Auschwitz in Poland, the concentration camp where they killed millions of Jews. Now, there is this strange movement. It's a very fringe movement in the world that denies that the Holocaust happened. I don't even know how that's possible, specifically because I went there and I went into the room where they have thousands of pounds of hair that they would have shaved off the Jewish people at the time, that they would have taken out their gold teeth, that they would have taken off all of their clothes and their shoes, and they're just piled up still. It's still there. You can go and see it. I walked into the gas chamber. It's the most eerie thing in the world to stand in a place where thousands of people were murdered. I stood in the room where they then burned all of the bodies. It's an eerie place. But there is no way on this green earth that you convince me that that never happened. Because I've seen it, I felt it, I saw it happen, I touched the walls. John is in that place where he's trying to convey to people who have never experienced that. They've never experienced Jesus, they didn't see him, they didn't hear him. And he's trying to say, but I have, I saw him. And they're trying. To, he's trying to say, I saw Jesus in the flesh. I know God, and I'm never going to renounce him. You can arrest me. You can beat me. You can put me into a boiling vat of oil. It does not matter. I, you can kill me if you want. I'm never going to renounce him because my joy is fulfilled in Jesus. And he is the complete, he is the complete joyful version. I mean, he, he can give us complete joy. And so he wants to convey on his deathbed. All joy is found in Christ. Second thing he wants to convey is this. There is guaranteed assurance through obedience and love. There is guaranteed assurance through obedience and love. One of the best things about 1 John is that it is the most helpful tool for the assurance of our faith. Have you ever doubted whether you're a Christian? Have you ever doubted whether you're doing it right? You ever doubted whether the actions that you've taken and the prayers that you've prayed are really going to be good enough to be in a relationship with Jesus for all of eternity? You ever doubted that? 1 John is the best text to possibly read and think, how, how can I be saved? How do I know that I'm saved? And John gives us some very specific answers. He says, obedience and love. So 1 John chapter 2, so turn a page, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 3 through 5, it says this. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not, know, does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, this is a very simple concept. How do you know that you have salvation in Jesus? You act like Jesus. It's, it is that simple, that our actions follow our heart, that if our heart has been changed by Jesus, our actions will then follow. If we want to be and desire to be like Jesus, then our actions will follow through in obedience. Now, the question is for us to really consider, does our heart want to follow Jesus? Do we, desire for our, do we desire for our actions to do what God wants us to do and be obedient? If it's not, if our heart's just like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't want to do what he wants me to do, then yeah, you've got some questions. You've got some questions to answer regarding your own salvation. But if you have a desire, now I'm not saying that you're perfect all the time. It's entirely possible that our, that our actions don't fulfill what our heart desires. It's entirely possible that you can want to do the things that God, that God wants you to do. And then sometimes you mess up and that's called sin. But does our heart desire to do the things that Jesus wants us to do, and therefore we will do some of them? For me, this is the biggest struggle in my Christian walk. For a long time, I doubted my own salvation. I didn't know that what God had done in my life was enough. And so, I just interestingly enough, when I'm walking closely with the Lord, those doubts go away. When I'm walking in obedience to Him, I don't have doubts about my salvation. Now, when I'm not walking closely with Him, and I'm not doing what He's commanded me to do, I begin to have doubts about my salvation. Isn't that interesting? Maybe you have the same experience. Where just like, I, I, I know that I know that I know because I'm following what God wants me to do. Now, that's not to say that that earns you salvation. Don't, don't hear me say that. It doesn't earn you salvation. It just simply... It just simply assures you of the salvation that you have. Now, the second way that, that, that John says that we can be assured of our salvation is love. 1 John chapter 4. This is the scripture verse that you guys uh, did in missional community this week. So 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12, it says this. But, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What he's saying is, is that as we love each other, this is a helpful tool to assure us of our salvation. We can confirm our salvation by the way that we love each other. Another legend, this is not biblical, but this is just part of church history. One of the legends about John is that when, at the very, very end of his life, it was said that he did not say much to the people around him. As he lay dying, he would just simply say the phrase, love one another love one another. As people would come and talk to him, he would repeat the same thing. 
love one another. This is what he wanted to be his famous last words. Now, as I wrap up my time here at Cane Bay, this is the same thing that I want to say to you guys. I believe that we have something special here at the Church of Cane Bay. We are a family that loves one another. And if you're part of this church for any amount of time, that you'll experience that same love. And my encouragement to you is keep going. There is deeper levels of the same love that God has for us that we can experience together. Continue to love one another well. And if we do that, we will be assured of our faith. Our love for one another does not save us, but it is a symbol or a sign of what God has done for us. And so therefore we love. And so we want to continue to love one another in that way. So John's final words. Now let's look at chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. So First John chapter 5, 20 and 21. It says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. And then he says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Here's the third thing that John wants his, his, um, his people to know. On his deathbed, this is what he wants them to know. Idols overshadow truth. Idols overshadow truth. So isn't it interesting that he just says this little, little tiny thing right at the very end of the book? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, here's the deal. He doesn't say that idols will overcome the truth. That's not what I'm saying. The truth of Jesus will always be. It, God is always there with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Here's the deal. But the sin and idols in our life will often overshadow him and blind us to the truth that he's there. Notice that he, it, says that it says that the Son of God has given to us understanding so that we may know him as true. That he is the one who never leaves us. We, in fact, run from him. But he is always there. He is always going to be truth. And he always is going to lead us to the truth. And always is going to speak truth. Our problem is is that we have sin in our life, which clouds us towards the truth. They're called idols. Idols is any, an idol is anything that we prop up as more important than God himself, than Jesus himself. That we put an idol, whether it's, whether it's money or a job or children or, what, or a house or a boat or anything that we put. as This is the one thing that I'm going to put as more important than anything else is an idol. And we worship and give time to that idol. And we put it in front of Jesus. And so then we begin to doubt. Does Jesus really love me? Does God really love me? Am I really saved? And the reason why that happens is because it's cloudy in our eyes. It's very unclear. Because an idol has taken the place of Jesus' first place in our life. So we have to think through, and this is why John tells them, little children, keep yourselves from idols, because he knows that God never leaves us, but we check out from him sometimes, and, 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 but, he, it, but there's a shadow that comes over us called an idol. What I love about mission. And this is why we very specifically in this church want to make sure that you as a church are on mission, serving and loving other people and telling people the gospel, because mission is an idol killer. One of the things I love when I'm talking, we were recruiting uh, for this uh, last trip to go to Kenya. I remember standing in the lobby and speaking with several of the people who have medical expertise, and I looked at them and I said, would you think about going on a mission trip to Kenya? And you can tell in their mind begins to spin because what happens is, is all their idols, and this is all of us, not just them, 
all their idols begin to crop up and really become clearly seen. The idol of safety. Am I going to be safe if I go overseas? Because America's largest idol is safety. The idol of money. The idol of time, my vacation time. The idol of my family time. All these things that crop up when mission becomes the focus. And here's what happens. And this happens to all of us. It doesn't matter whether we go overseas or we go across the street to our neighbor. When we are on mission with God, it very well breaks down those clouds. It breaks down those shadows and it makes us see Jesus for who he really is. And when we're on mission with him, we see him, we're obeying him, we're loving him as we're loving others. And we come back and we're like, man, I can see Jesus so clearly now because all the idols have been broken down. And I love when people come back from mission trips or they come back from a missional community and they're so close to Jesus. The reason why is Jesus never left them, but the cloud of idols has disappeared. That is why we want to continue to be on mission with Jesus right here in Cane Bay and across the world. It's so that we can be very, very close to him and put away all of our idols. So this is what John tells us. John tells us that there's joy, our joy is made complete in Jesus. John tells us that our assurance of our salvation happens through obedience and love. And then John tells us to put away our idols because they overshadow the truth. So how did yours that you wrote down compare to what John said? Now, all of the different famous last words that we're going to study over the next month, they're all going to be a little different. But how did yours compare? Were they similar? Were they close? I bet some of them were. Some of them were. My, my, my question for you is I want you to be thinking through this. What do you value? Is it possible that the things that you want to convey at the end of your life are not synchronized with the way that you're living right now? So think through that. Is it possible that you need to maybe, maybe make sure the things that you value and you hope and the experiences you have line up with how you're living right now? And maybe you need to think through that and pray through that together. Uh, with somebody or maybe just spend some time with Jesus alone and say, hey, I want to make sure that the hopes that I have and the values that I have line up with how I'm living my life right now. And that might be that I can have assurance of my salvation through the obedience and love that I might have for other people. So let's think through that together as a church as we work through uh, this series. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for a great opportunity to read in your word this morning, to celebrate uh, what you have done through baptism. Thank you for uh, this word that tells us that all of our joy can be made complete in your son, Jesus, and that we can know that we know that we know that we have salvation because of our obedience towards you, because of our love for others. And God, thank you for an opportunity that you give us the strength to put away idols that would make, uh, that would make your truth very unclear. God, help us put away those idols. And God, as we worship now, God, I pray that you would um, simply, that, that you would be first place in our life. That you would be propped up as first, put on the pedestal so that we might be able to worship you. God, help us to put away things that don't need to be there. God, I pray that, that we as a church, that we would not be unclear about the gospel. That we would not be unclear about the truth. And God, in this community, that we would be known as a people and a family who love each other really well. This attractive type of love that other people might aspire to, that they might come into this family because they know that we are a people who love. And so, Jesus, I pray simply that you would, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us to love well. Amen.